Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Father, illuminate your word to us by the power of your spirit and help us to live a life rooted in faith. In Christ's name, amen. Throughout Romans 14, we've been talking about strength and weakness, and last time especially, what the implications are for the freedom that we have in Christ. How should we use that freedom, or how should we live in freedom? And that's what we'll be talking about this morning, how to live in freedom. Every Sunday morning before I come to church, I listen to the sermon from the week before to see if there's any mistakes that I need to correct or anything like that. And I was struck in listening to last week's sermon uh, that the impression you could get from what we talked about last time about freedom is uh, a little bit, I don't know, kind of negative. Like freedom is a little bit dangerous and, and using your freedom can have a bad result. and You need to be careful about freedom. It makes freedom sound like one of those gifts that you've been given that comes with a lot of strings attached. You think about gifts that you've been given, that, that the kind of gift that doesn't really seem like it's meant to be used. You ever received a gift like that? I was thinking about gifts I've been given, and uh, I, I have to be careful because my parents are, are joining us via the live stream, but, but my mom gave me a gift once that, that literally served no purpose. Um, and, you know, this was Christmas and your opening gifts, and, and when you're young, like every gift matters. Right, because you've got a dream of abundance, and there's no sort of wasted gift. So every time you open socks, it's like a little part of you dies. And, and I remember one Christmas, as I'm opening gifts, I, I open the box, and inside are all of these um, like wall decorations with an Egyptian theme. Like, like not mummies and stuff, but you know, pharaohs and, and Egyptian people on like little rounds things meant to be hung on your wall, like, like decorative art. Now, I had not put decorative art on my list of, of items I wanted for Christmas. Most of the things I wanted were weapons, not, not artwork. And so I didn't understand what was going on. And at first I thought, I've, I've accidentally opened something that was meant for my mom. And, and I said, is this, is this yours? She's like, no, it's for you. And I'm like, what is the point? What is the point of this gift? It serves no purpose. Now, they eventually went up on the wall and I got used to them. In fact, I cannot forget them. When I close my eyes, I can picture them. Part of that's because of the futility of the gift. It was a, a, a wonderful gift that I just had no use for. Sometimes you get a gift and it's something you wanted, but it comes with so many rules attached to it. I mentioned weapons. It's like if you're a young boy and you get your first BB gun, 
and it seems like this is your admission into some sort of feral manhood, like you've now been given a weapon, except it comes with all of these qualifications. You're not allowed to use it without adult supervision. In some cases, you're not even allowed to touch it whenever you want to, like only when your parents are there and, and under strict circumstances. Like, what is the point of having a BB gun if you can't just shoot it whenever you want? Like, what is the point of that kind of a gift? Pets are another good one. You can have a pet. Wouldn't that be wonderful to have a little wild animal companion? Except you have to then feed it and take care of it and clean up after it and all of that kind of stuff. With freedom comes responsibility. And sometimes the responsibility seems so great that you begin to wonder, what's the point of the freedom? Maybe it's the sort of freedom that that you don't really benefit from. Maybe you'd be better off without gifts like that, without freedom like that, because it's too dangerous or too inconvenient to actually live it out. And when you think about the freedom you have in Christ, especially when you look at some of the pitfalls, you might start thinking that way. Like, what is the use of this freedom that we have in Christ if it has all of these rules attached? Maybe we would be better off without this freedom, which is nonsense, which is absolute nonsense. And Paul is going to show us how to use the freedom that we've been given and how the freedom that we've been given is good. That we've been called to live in freedom, and it's a wonderful gift, a life-giving gift, and the rules, in quotes, that are attached to it are good things, not bad things. They're not restrictions. They are guideposts to show us how to use that freedom well. So, Paul says here, and and you get it in that closing of our passage, that final verse, that to live in freedom, your actions have to proceed from faith. That everything must proceed from faith. Now let's see how he gets there. As we go through the text, you'll see uh, some points that we've made before, but some others that I think help give us deeper understanding. Paul says, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Last time we were talking about upbuilding building one another up, edification, building up the household of faith. And now we get the opposite, from from building to destroying. If we neglect the weak, if we neglect the consciences of the weak for the sake of food, Paul says, we're essentially destroying the work of God. He says everything is indeed clean, as he said last time, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's important to notice the the wording there is a little bit different than what we saw before because the emphasis really last time was on the idea that even if something is objectively right, if it goes against your conscience, it's a sin to violate your conscience. So even if the act itself isn't a sin, the breaking of conscience is a sin. And you might think to yourself, all right, well, everybody needs to see to his own conscience then. Make sure you don't break your conscience. But here... Paul says, no, 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 it's not just that that they need to see to their conscience, but you have to be aware as well. It is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's wrong for you to encourage another to violate conscience. And he reasserts that sense of priority, like what really matters. He says, it's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The things that he's willing to give up are all good things. They're all blessings, right? 
we talked about freedom last time. I don't want you to, to look at this verse and, and say, well, it's good not to eat meat or drink wine. And say, okay, well, right, you shouldn't drink wine because that's a sin. He's not saying don't do these things because they're sinful. He's saying don't do them because they're good, but they could also lead to a weaker brother to stumble. Priorities. The priority is to build up that weaker brother in faith, and that's always more important than just enjoying your own freedom. Then he says something really complicated. He says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Which seems like that could be the life verse for every introvert that ever lived. Right? You, you've come to Christ, and, and you've been told about the importance of evangelism. We want to proclaim the gospel to everyone around us, and that sounds very extroverted and, and not the sort of thing you want to do. And then you find a verse like this, and it seems like Paul's saying, keep your faith to yourself. That's just between you and God. But that's not really what he's saying, as you can imagine. There's a context here that's important for us to to keep in mind. So this phrase that's translated, the faith that you have, is speaking not about faith in general, but about the conviction or the belief that he's been talking about up to now in this context. In other words, it's, it's a belief about what the will of Christ is. Weaker brothers believe the will of Christ is that they not eat or drink wine, or eat meat or drink wine that is offered to idols. Stronger people in the faith recognize that that's not really sinful. And that's the faith being talked about, that belief in the rightness or the wrongness of that course of action. So, whatever your belief there is, keep it to yourself, keep it private. In other words, don't make a big deal out of it. Um, sometimes it's helpful when we are dealing with a more literal translation to compare more figurative translations. The, the weakness of a figurative translation is that sometimes it, it, it reads too much into the text, it overinterprets, but sometimes it's helpful because the, the person, the translator who's given himself some of the freedom to to be looser can give you more of a sense of the word. So if you read this text in the NIV, what we have here, the faith that you have, is translated, whatever you believe about these things. Making it clear that the immediate context is what he has in mind. The New Living Translation really spells it out. It says, you may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. In other words, freedom should be used with discretion in the presence of the weak, so that those who are weak are not tempted to act against conscience. So Paul's not saying keep your light under a bushel. He's saying that when it comes to using that freedom that you have in Christ, use it, yes, but use it with discretion. Like Be conscious of those who are around you and where they're at, and take that into account when you do this. And he says, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, which is even more complicated than the line that precedes it. Uh, Happy is the man who condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth, is how it goes in the King James. And I've never been able to forget that verse, but it doesn't mean I ever understood what it meant. It seemed to say, like, it's okay to do whatever you want to do as long as you don't feel guilty about it. And that's not quite 
what Paul is saying here. But again, let's compare some looser translations and you'll get a sense for what these words mean. In the New Living Translation, it says, Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. The contemporary English version says, You are fortunate if your actions don't make you have doubts. And the Good News Translation says, Happy are those who do not feel guilty when they do something they judge is right. In other words, what Paul is saying here is you have a a judgment of the will of Christ, a belief in what Christ says is good. And if you act on that, and there is no doubt, there is no twinge of conscience, you're not violating your conscience in doing it, then you are blessed. That is a gift. It is a gift to be able to use the freedom that you have in Christ without remorse, without doubt. On the other hand, if, if it's with doubt, that's where the problem sets in. If it's against conscience, then it becomes sin, and that's the difficulty, right? You recognize the freedom that he's talking about is a gift because it's a thing that comes from the Spirit that allows us to live in freedom without doubt, without guilt, without remorse. And to be free from that guilt and that doubt and that remorse is a gift. And not everyone possesses it. And we need to be sensitive to those who do not yet have that gift. The freedom to do what is permitted without any moral scruple is a blessing. It's a gift from God. And it needs to be treated like a gift. In other words, don't flaunt it. If you get a great gift, it's not decorative art for the wall. If you get something wonderful that you've always wanted, don't be the person that, that goes to all of your friends and says, look what I got. Ha, ha, ha. What did you get? Oh, <laughs> decorative art? Socks? <laughs> don't be that way. Don't flaunt it. Don't be arrogant and prideful. Be discreet because that discretion takes into account where others are at, the needs of others, right? Don't flaunt your gifts, but be grateful for them. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. So whatever it is, if you do it with doubt, if you do it with uncertainty, against conscience, you are sinning, as we saw last time. And the reason is because you're not acting from faith. You're not acting from the conviction that that this is what Christ has said, that this is the will of Christ. Anything you do outside the will of Christ, outside your belief about the will of Christ, is sin. He makes it really clear in that final phrase, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Proceed from faith is to be in accord with what you believe is Christ's will. And anything that you do that is contrary to what you believe is the will of Christ, that is sin. In addition to what is written, the law, the objective right and wrong, this matters too. What we believe is true. So to live in freedom, there's a balance that has to be struck. And we have to strike a balance between these two factors that Paul was holding up to us. Right? A balance between the freedom of the strong in faith and the conscience of the weak in faith. And when it comes to striking the balance, there's some options we simply don't have. 
Paul takes them off the table. Right? We don't have the option of just saying, well, the strong can just separate themselves from the weak, or vice versa. Now, if you're going to be weak, go somewhere else, because here we're free, and we're going to celebrate that freedom. Or, hey, if you're going to be strong, you need to go somewhere else, because here we're about ministering and caring for the weak. We just want to focus on that. Like, neither of those is an option. The weak and the strong must live together in community and build one another up. The strong cannot simply ignore the weak and flaunt their freedom. That's also not an option. We can't just say, hey, some people are weak, that's their problem. That would be an abuse of our freedom. We would become destroyers of the work of God if we were willing to do that. At the same time, another thing that's not an option, the weak cannot be catered to at the expense of truth and growth. Just because people are weak in conscience doesn't mean we want to conceal from them the truth of the freedom that is offered in Christ. So none of those things are possible. The church as a whole and we as individuals have to make this balance between conscience and freedom, right? Because we've got to, on the one hand, encourage strong faith, but on the other, bear with weak consciences. Now, in order to encourage strong faith, you have to teach the truth. Like Our teaching as a church always has to reflect the truth of Scripture as fully as possible, holding nothing back. So you're never going to hear us promote the doctrines of men as if they were on par with the doctrines of God. We're not going to say, well, Christ commands this, but it would also be good if you did this, this, and this. And maybe it would be. Maybe those things are great, common-sense things to do. But if Christ hasn't said it, we're not going to put it next to Christ's Word, like on the pedestal, if that makes sense. So there are good, common-sense, wise things that you're never going to hear us say because the truth of Christ is so great and so important that we don't have time for anything else. Also, In addition to teaching the truth, we must teach the truth in a way that builds up others in strength. In other words, we're not always going to be targeting the weakness of the weak. It's not going to be every week you come and there's another sermon on what the weak don't understand, how the weak need to shape up, that sort of thing. We're not going to be focused on those kinds of issues because the way that we are building one another up is by building on our strengths, on what we have in common in Christ. We want people to grow in confidence. And you don't grow in confidence as a result of being battered over and over again and confronted with your weakness. There was a certain Sunday school teacher once, indulge me as I share a parable. This Sunday school teacher was teaching through the epistles of Paul, line by line. And his pastor was dissatisfied with this because he was teaching college-age students. And and the pastor thought, why aren't you teaching them Christian principles for dating? And the Sunday school teacher, who was not as sanctified then as he is today, said, I'm teaching line by line through the epistles of Paul. And when Paul covers Christian principles for dating, we'll get right on it. Which was arrogant, but also true. There's a lot of stuff that the church teaches, a lot of 
good how-to-live-a-great-life stuff that you hear from pulpits everywhere across the world that has very little to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you go through Scripture and you look at, at what Paul teaches as we're doing week by week, there is so much stuff he never mentions. And yet, it's front and center in the teachings of the church. It's where we emphasize, uh, it's where we put all of our effort. And, and as a result of that, people come to expect that sort of thing. And they become frustrated when they're not hearing it. Why won't the pastor preach about my pet topic? Why isn't the pastor teaching about this? Why won't he preach about the election? Why won't he preach about the pandemic? Why won't he preach about whatever I'm worried about right now? Not because those things aren't important, not because there isn't scriptural wisdom that you can bring to bear on those things. It's because what the Bible actually teaches is too precious to be put in the corner and occasionally touched on. We literally don't have time to make the word of God secondary to some sort of project of of how to live. What we have, what resources we have, have to be focused on what Christ has said. Because it is what Christ has said that has the power to build up the weak. So that's why our emphasis is on truth. But it's an emphasis on truth that also goes hand in hand with a determination to bear with the weak. So we're going to stand for the truth, but we're going to avoid unnecessary offense. We're going to be tactful in the exercise of our freedom because we're always taking into account the weakness of others so that they don't feel attacked. And we're not going to apply pressure to the weak to act against their conscience. We're not going to throw people in the deep end of the pool and say it is your job to swim or drown. We'll see. Whatever God's will is. That's not love. And so we're going to stand for the truth, but we're going to stand for the truth in love, which is Paul's program, and it's guaranteed to frustrate everyone. But it's what we're called to. What we've been called to do in Christ is not easy, but it is good. This is what freedom looks like. This determination to live out the truth fully, to do it in love, to do it for Christ's sake. Because ultimately, to live in freedom, you have to walk in Christ. There's no way that you can be free outside of Christ, or that because you're free, you can forget about what Christ has said. In the next chapter in Romans 15, Paul is going to hold up to us the example of Jesus, and he's going to say, be like him. If you want to be free, live like Jesus. The problem being that for a lot of us, when I say live like Jesus, it sounds like I'm saying you need to be less free. We think that to live like Jesus is to limit your freedom, and that's because we don't really see freedom the way that Paul does. If you remember all the way back in Romans chapter 6, we talked about this conflict in the way that we see freedom. In chapter 6, verse 18, Paul taught us that sin is bondage, and freedom means living in righteousness. We think of freedom as just the freedom to do whatever I want to do, right or wrong. The freedom to do evil as well as good. In fact, we tell ourselves very piously that if I don't have the freedom to do evil, then any good that I do isn't truly free and therefore isn't fully good, which is nonsense. It makes it sound like God is incapable of doing good because he is incapable 
of doing evil. It's just that we don't understand what sin is, what doing evil is. It's bondage, not freedom. When we sin, we show the bondage that we still experience to sin. We're not demonstrating our freedom because freedom and righteousness go hand in hand. The general principle at the end of our passage, verse 23, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Paul's saying here the same kind of thing that he says in Romans 6, 18. Every action that does not proceed from what you believe is the will of Christ is sin, and sin is bondage, not freedom. So whatever is against the will of Christ is bondage by definition. And freedom is acting in accord with Christ's will. We can say as much as we want that freedom means you can do whatever you want to do, but if you think about it, that doesn't really make sense. You don't need to be a Christian to realize that that falls short. The ancient philosophers understood that that was a poor definition of freedom because people want to do a lot of stuff that's wrong. They want to do a lot of stuff that's bad for them, and that suggests a self-destructive urge, a kind of, of constraint or bondage, even to the philosophers. Even they could see that true freedom could not consist in just doing whatever you want to do. That true freedom must consist, they would have said, in the ability to pursue the good or to pursue virtue. So the right use of freedom is to pursue the good. The the reason you want to be free is to do what is right. And if you're not going to use your freedom that way, the reality is all you're doing, the only other option is a return to bondage. Those are the only two options. As Christians, we can be a little more precise than the philosophers were. We can say that true freedom is the ability to walk in Christ, the ability to pursue Christ. The great freedom that we have is a freedom from sin, not only from the consequences of sin, but from the power of sin, so that we can walk in Christ, so that we can be what we were made to be. And that's what we're striving to be together. That's how we're striving to walk together here at Grace. Now, as we live this out in our church, as we try to do this at Grace, you're going to notice some things. Maybe you've noticed these things already. At Grace, we're gracious to prodigals. We're gracious to prodigals. People whose lives don't look like they should but we don't respond with with harsh judgment or shame. We respond with grace to those things. And I encourage you to respond with grace to prodigals as well, to lead with love and to love people into truth. Don't use truth as a weapon. We're gracious to prodigals, but you know what else we are? We're patient with Pharisees. We're patient with Pharisees. It's easy to to go to one extreme or the other, to be gracious with prodigals and, and, and really ungracious with Pharisees. The reality is, though, Phariseeism, like prodigalism, is a kind of weakness in faith. It's a different kind of weakness. It expresses itself differently. But that tendency towards a, a rule-oriented moralism, that is another kind of weakness 
in faith, a weakness of conscience. And so we're called to be loving towards Pharisees. Not to the extent of compromising the truth. Jesus wouldn't compromise the truth. But to be loving towards those who are trying to impose a rules-based system just as we are to those who seem to be flaunting every rule. Because this is what we've been called to do, the kind of community that Christ makes. Whether you're a prodigal or you're a Pharisee or you're somewhere in between, the answer, what you need in order to be built up is the same. You need to know Jesus more. You need more Jesus in your life, more of his example, more of his spirit, more of his power. You need more grace from Jesus, recognizing that Jesus alone saves from beginning to end. Whether we're talking about justification or sanctification, every moment of your salvation is Christ working in you, and it doesn't get more gracious than that. You need more depth from Jesus, because in Jesus, all of the mysteries of God are revealed. The depths, the riches, the wonders of his love, all of them are revealed to us in Jesus. And in Jesus, we find more community as well. Our union with Jesus is what brings us into the the, the community of our Trinitarian God that makes us brothers and sisters and fellow heirs of the Son. The community that we've been called to be part of. Nothing we've been called to, no part of this is easy. No part of this is, is not without its, its mess or its frustration. And honestly, we don't always do it well or rightly. We have plenty of, of mistakes on our books. But this is what Christ is doing in us. Sometimes we ask ourselves, if people don't know the rules first, how can they know Christ? But the reality is, You've got to know Christ first before you can make sense of the rules, before you can understand the freedom that you've been given. The more you know Jesus, the stronger you will be. The more you know Jesus, the freer you will be. And as a community, as brothers and sisters in Christ, let our focus be on knowing him and helping others to know him more. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.